Welcome to the Recon Podcast. In this episode, I'll be continuing the conversation on how the leather scene is not dying. The city I'm focusing on in this episode is Sydney in Australia. I'll be chatting with Dick Savvy, also known as the Naked Barber, about fetish down under and tales from the barber chair. Enjoy the episode. So, some of you who've been following what we're doing on Recon will know that I'm just at the end of just over three weeks in Australia celebrating a milestone event for Sydney Mardi Gras and World Pride. Some of you may not know that uh, Sydney Mardi Gras is the world's largest LGBTQI plus event. Um, and this is also the first time that World Pride has taken place in the Southern Hemisphere. So there was a lot of partying and celebration going on. Um, while we were down there, uh, we had running a recon campaign, giving away some free memberships and some other promo swag. Um, we had an exhibition stand at Mardi Gras Fair Day where we were camped out with some other kink organizations. Great to see some familiar faces from people we've not seen since we were down there the last time and also to meet some new people. Um, we did two Recon Gear socials at the Eagle. Um, I walked in the Sydney Mardi Gras parade with an amazing group of fetishists from Studio Kink. Uh, and I also marched in the World Pride Parade across the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And this is only the third time that the bridge has ever been fully closed uh, for any reason. Um, while we were down there, we also sponsored the Sydney Mr. Leather Contest, which uh, had an amazingly successful comeback since it was last held in 2017, I think, 1617. And it was also good to see how many other fetish events were taking place during the three weeks that they were celebrating uh, Mardi Gras. And it really made me wonder why, you know, the naysayers were saying, you know, oh, there's no fetish in Sydney. There's no kink in Sydney. The Australian leather scene is dead. And in my uh impression it was anything but dead you know over these three weeks you know there was an incredible revival of the fetishine and i met kingsters from literally everywhere you know across several australian states you know including people i spoke to from brisbane from melbourne from Cairns, from adelaide from perth from canberra somebody that came down from the gold coast and of course i bumped into kingsters you know from places I know from my other work travels, you know, from London, from Manchester, from Ireland, from Scotland, from across the US, Canada, Belgium, Sweden, Germany, Paris, Brazil. Okay, you get the idea. So there were Kingsters from everywhere. You know, one of the things that happens always when we put a lot of our events online, um, you know, they are destination events. And we know that Kingsters love to fucking travel. They're literally everywhere. And I would say it was interesting because all of these fetish people I met from various different places traveled with their gear. And I think you would only do this if you know that there is a thriving scene um, where you'll actually have the opportunity to gear up when you go out. So it really made me question, why would so many people assume that there is no fetish scene uh, in Sydney? Uh, through our sponsorship of the contest, you know, I spoke quite a lot with Dick Savvy while I was down there, and I really thought it was important to get him on board as the person, um, you know, responsible for the revival of the contest. And I'm guessing, you know, this is definitely uh, someone who would have 
firsthand knowledge, you know, interacting with the community, getting this off the ground. Uh, so let's find out what Dick has got to say about Sydney and the kink scene. So welcome, Dick Savvy, to the podcast. Welcome, Dick. Thank you, Anton, for having me. And thank you, everyone out there. Cool. So we'll go through. I'm going to ask you a, a number of questions about some bits, but I think let's maybe start with just the general bits first, and then we can dig into the juicy bits of what's happening down in Sydney. Um, first of all, can you tell us who is Dick Savvy and what is the House of Savvy? Okay, so um, Dick Savvy is me. Um, my name's Richard Savvy. I am the Naked Barber. I've been doing that for 14 years in Sydney this year. And um, throughout my time, I've spent a lot of time with the community building stuff. I also had the honour of being Sydney Mr Leather in 2012. Um, and I also later on got the honour to go to um, the international titles and judge the Boot Blacks back in um, 2018, I believe it was. So throughout the years, and yes, you are right, we are known here in Sydney or have been known not to have much of a kink scene or leather scene, so to speak. A lot of it's got to do with not having a permanent leather bar, I guess you could say, as well as a few other things that have happened in our community throughout the decades that I've been in it anyway and involved. So I decided to do the House of Savvy uh, when I heard that we were doing Sydney World Pride here, uh, which was very exciting for the Sydney, um, for the city, sorry. It, it was something that I thought that the city would need is... Um, something a little bit dirtier, something a little bit more known to um, foreigners as far as going to events and that because some of our events can be more social level and um, kind of come up like a tea party more than a tea dance, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> so I wanted to create a dirtier kind of kink open fetish events and that's very hard in Sydney with our liquor license unfortunately uh we can't have back rooms here they are very strict with certain things in nightclubs and venues because of their liquor license laws which obviously you don't want to harm or anything from those clubs because we need those clubs to be open so uh Throughout my time, when the Sydney Keener, uh, Sydney scene seemed to be a less prominent, I guess, than around the world, I discovered um, kink scene in the straight community, um, funny enough, and they have these great swingers venues uh, where it's BYO alcohol. You can treat it like a normal nightclub. You bring your alcohol. We've got bar staff that look after you with your mixers and drinks and all that, which you can take home afterwards. But you treat it like a nightclub where you have the freedom to play. Like it's just a straight swingers club, really, that I take over and put in gay male events um, and also an open queer event. So I've got two events that run there. One's Meat Rack, which is a men's fetish BDSM play party. And, um, yeah, it lets them in, discover their wildest fantasies. I, I open up a space for people that have trouble finding a space to, for, for that. And then that went really well. And I've got a lot of females and friends in the kink scene, obviously, and um, being connected with all the scenes here in the city. And um, I started DYMK, which stands for Does Your Mother Know? which is a mixed event 
same thing, BYO alcohol. We get a lot of trans people. It's very queer-friendly, a lot of gay men, uh, buys, buy plus. It's pretty much open for everyone to explore their kink. Unfortunately, um, Sydney hasn't had anything like that. We have had a lot of problems with liquor licences and having stuff held at clubs. So my clever thoughts and the time that I spent with the straight swingers, I discovered, oh, why don't I book these places and put on gay or queer events? So that's kind of how the House of Savvy started. Well, I mean, it's interesting, you know, listening to you talk because there seems to be so much happening. And maybe I wonder whether or not it's just the case of people don't know that there's so much happening in the city, you know, because for such a long time, they've just been under the impression that nothing has been happening for some reason. But there seems to be so much going on. I mean, um, you mentioned, you know, the problem of the sex and liquor license issue. And I think this is something we know very well, especially from traveling to America to do certain events. And even though we're in an extremely liberal city like London, we still also hear struggle with venues that have a sex on premise license. The difference is, I guess, that when it's granted here, um, there is no issue of having alcohol in the space, which is very interesting compared to quite a few other places. But it seems even though you don't have a permanent fetish bar, which I have to admit, like here in London, we've lost ours as well. You still have a lot going on uh, in the scene. I think similarly, like we do. How important do you think is the sex on premise for Kingsters in Sydney? Well, I, I think it's important for people not to just have sex on premises in the kink industry, but to have the freedom um, for if it's there. Obviously, when you come to kink events and that, it can get very um, sexually arousing. <laughs> so, to place, so to have a place for that, because that's what kink's about. It's about being sexually aroused, about being aroused. So it's very hard when you have certain events and the lights are on, it's more social, everyone's in their kink gear, but it feels kind of like, and we've got one club here in particular, um, where it feels very much like you're kind of in a high school cafeteria um, and it can get quite clicky and stuff like that. That can also be quite a turn off. I think when it comes to creating a space as well, you need to create a flow and a sexual vibe to it when it comes to the kink world. Um, but there is also a place very much so for social gathering and that, but it's the way it's done, it's the way it's created and the fact that Sydney for a very long time, I think it felt lost, there was no one daring enough or had the knowledge on how to make change or think outside the box, I would say, and for a very long time Sydney's kinking and leather community did seem like it was dying. I knew it wasn't because I'm a big part of it. So I had a lot of connections. I, I did know where these underground venues were and what was going on. But when it came to tourists especially or people that have just moved here or aren't connected and want to, it was very hard for many years here in Sydney. But that has changed over the last four years, I believe. Yeah. I mean, when I think about what was happening, you know, in the scene, you know, I went to the party from Studio King, um, yeah. you know, the Gear Up event, which is out in St. Saint, uh, Saint Peter's. I went to Mel's Extra Dirty party. We know Mel very well here at Recon. Um, you know, 
uh, Matt Kane and his team did the pop-up Eagle. There were also events at the Hyde. And then, you know, there was you with the contest and also the boot black contest. And I think there seemed to be, what was interesting was that there was so many people who were invested in organizing things that were happening. And what, I mean, uh, uh, let's draw it back this way around. During the contest, you know, one of the questions that came up was about how the community works together to make these kind of spaces happen. And do you think that this was a good coming together of the Sydney fetish community in terms of, let's say, the organizations coming together to make sure, like, you know, you basically put the best representation forward uh, for Mardi Gras and World Pride. How easy was it to work together with these other people? Um, Honestly, it wasn't that hard for me because a lot of them are close friends and allies of mine, and I've been working many years in the community, I guess, to... to, um, get respect and trust for what I do. So to get people to work with the title weekend that I created, I it, look, there's a lot of nuts and bolts that go into a lot of these things <laughs> that I have from all different sectors of our community. But there was a few of us that worked very hard together, um, which was amazing to watch us connect and work hard because we knew that, Mardi Gras never does, unfortunately, or hasn't done for many decades or years. And um, World Pride never really put the Leathermen or the Bear community or Kinksters forward with any promos or any events, anything like that. So if it wasn't for our community, um, there would have been nothing. So I think that we all kind of pushed everything aside and went, we've got to do this. We've got to shine. We have our one chance here in Sydney and stepping back, pushing everything aside, we do have a beautiful, amazing community here. So I was glad, I'm so glad to have led the way and um, that others were doing their thing and leading their way. We all seem to have connected quite well to bring a marvellous and fantastic um, kink and um, leather pride during our World Pride here in Sydney. What the other thing was, you know, what made me really excited one bit was, you know, chatting to Matt about doing the pop-up eagle, which was really an interesting concept that, you know, that there isn't an eagle running every day, but I think that they, you know, that there is the need for actually doing this pop-up and providing a space um, for kings just to hang out you know, during the Mardi Gras period. And when I think about, you know, something like the need for a space where Kingsters can go and meet and hang out and either socialize or have sex or have fun, whatever else, it made me think about, you know, I was told that one of the big sponsors of Mardi Gras that took over the Oxford Hotel uh, kind of did so under the premise that, you know, one thing that they did not want was for fetish men to be in the space. Um, what do you think about that? You know, considering how supportive or open they should have been to the community, that they basically wanted to segregate the fetish community from actually having a time in their space. You know, this is one of, uh, I guess this is one of Sydney's most famous and longstanding LGBT uh, plus, you know, establishments. Yes, <laughs> I have a lot to probably say on this, to be honest with you. I don't know the whole story about this, but um, that whole conflict of interest of having the 
uh, Blue Oyster Bar, which was a presence or um, just showing the kink community. It was uh, on the strip during the last day of World Pride here. Yeah. It was a Sunday and a Saturday and Sunday we had a street party. So I worked very tight, tirelessly and hard with photo shoots and really connecting with the uh, team from Universal Hotel who owned the Oxford Hotel and uh, probably another three or four gay hotels here in Australia. They're not gay-owned company. They are straight, but I call it rainbow washing. Yeah. Um, so they did get uh, American Express as major sponsors and after a month last year of working very hard to do our what we were calling our victory party for our finish up of our title weekend but also a way to show presence to the communities to the people from overseas the internationals that there is a leather presence here so we wanted a street presence it everything was approved right to the final day and then about four or five days after posting it and photos that we got made up for and posters, we got an email from a different manager from the hotel pretty much stating that we can't do our event because they have um, total rights. Uh, they have booked the hotel for private parties, which they actually never had. The club was apparently welcome to everyone, just they didn't want to advertise a leather or kink prominent event. Um, they also sanitised a few other of their own events. I believe they've got a dildo derby race that they do on a Thursday or Wednesday night <laughs> at Boston and have done for many years, and they also had to change the name of that. So it was very sad to see that a major sponsor corporation would come in during our World Pride and take away some of the stuff that people should feel proud about, that's what pride is. It's not feeling shame. Yeah. And when you cast shame by saying that you can't have your event, even though we were welcoming to everyone, we called it the Blue Oyster Bar for a perfect reason. It came from the police academy. It's when the police officers walked into the leather gay bar, which they never knew it was, and next minute they're waltzing around with leather men. <laughs> um, yeah, I was there on Sunday as well. It was really, <laughs> yeah. really good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it was something that was meant to be open to all, but a place, a drinking hole for the leather community to go, feed together, but also create some atmosphere on Oxford Street. Yeah. It was amazing that Stonewall Hotel, which is gay owned and operated here on Oxford Street, Sydney, went ahead and um, took it over. They understood the problem we had and they were so gracious enough to give us our space. And to be honest with you, I believe it worked out better in the end um, for us. something tight and shiny for a special event want ideas for your next session at regulation we're stocking thousands of products including leather rubber toys electro restraints and playroom furniture now shipping worldwide or get free uk shipping when you spend over 25 pounds visit our london store or shop online at regulation.co.uk Regulation kink delivered. What do you think overall was or is the biggest hurdle for the Sydney fetish community? The biggest hurdle for the Sydney fetish community. 
actually think we've gotten over it. I think we've passed that big hurdle. Um, as you said, Sydney community was live and extremely well while you were here, and it has been doing really well for the last four years. Um, we were a little bit worried when COVID came in, but a lot of our social groups, um, especially the pups and handlers and all that, and I believe even the hide, got on and did a lot of social media Zoom meetings with people and reconnected that way during the time. It kept a lot of strength when we were opening up slightly. We still kept trying to put our parties and events on during the times when we could, even though we had to less the numbers and go through COVID restriction rules. Um, we all took it on board and we never gave up. We knew World Pride was coming. And I think that was one of the biggest things is that we knew something big was coming. We knew we've got a beautiful community here and we knew we needed to make it shine. And I think that was my biggest drive and I, I believe that it was a lot of the others that were involved as well. What do you think is going to be or what is your aspiration for Eagle, the winner of the title, you know, during the contest, you know, there were lots of questions from the judges about this need of bringing the community together or how we would be uh, the need for introducing new people or new energy into the king scene. And there was even a question about, you know, the generational uh, divide on the Sydney fetish scene. What do you think is, yeah, what's the aspiration for, for Eagle, the winner of the title? What are you hoping he's going to be able to do with this? You know, you brought the title back and there must have been um, a desire, not just for the, you know, the gesture or the grandiousness of having a title, but, you know, normally there's an expect, expectation of the, the title holder to do something for the community. So what do you think, or what is your hope for Eagle. Okay, so firstly, Eagle's going under co Coach Dura. Um, <laughs> and Coach Dura is um, someone, I'll be honest with you, that I believe are all of the contestants that competed, every single one of them, as you saw, were just amazing. As a producer standing on the back line, there's not one of them that I would have been upset if they got the title. And I didn't have a favourite. It was even, I think, the judges, everyone in the audience was so unsure, such a strong six men standing up in front of their community. I would really hope and I do believe that Igor, or Coach Dura, I should say, is going to be the man that will probably even build that brotherhood locally here instead of worrying about too much about going overseas and connecting there. I do really believe that he will be concentrating on our local community, which we are striving at the moment, and it's a good time to have a strong title holder. I would not have brought this event back, and it's been seven years since we've had a title event um, being Sydney Mr Leather where Tim Ball won in 2015. And um, I wouldn't have put all this hard work and all that if I didn't believe the timing was right. The offer for me to bring back Sydney Mr Leather um, came to me just before COVID, probably about four years ago. Um, and I believe that we weren't ready for it then. We are stronger now. We've also got the Sydney Leather Men, which is our new association. They only just started uh, last year. Considering the involvement I've had with previous associations and the way the times have come today, I'm not all for a lot of associations. 
but they are one I really believe in. They're they're off, they're they're not after money or memberships or money grabbing. They're after bringing men together in a free space and socialising. And I think that takes it to a whole new level, especially now you've got Facebook, we've got Recon, we've got all these different elements to connect with people. The times from the 70s and the 80s and having associations um, have kind of changed a bit and they did get a bit controlling here in Sydney, I'll be honest with you. Our Sydney Leather Pride Association probably was the death of a lot of things that happened in Sydney because they became very controlling um, and they were just board members and they kept changing and there was stuff going on in the background. And, um, yeah, it's nice to see a revival of everything. Now we seem to have everyone's got their own little groups instead of this big umbrella fetish group. We have Studio Kink doing some amazing workshops here in Sydney and the support, as you saw yourself, to all the communities and their community groups is just amazing. Um, we've got Sydney Sid Park, the Sydney Pups and Handlers. Uh, they do the cloak check for all my events. I love those pups. They are our new generation. We do have to embrace them. Another reason why I love having them at my especially high kink events because it opens them up to more kinks and stuff like that, which I think as an elder we need to be doing with the younger ones. And I think having the pups who are so strong here in Sydney and I believe in the whole kink community around the world is something that leather men and women and everyone in the kink industry has to really embrace because they are the new blood. Um, then we've got Sydney Rubber Men. We've got, as I said, the Sydney Leather Men, um, SLM, who are just amazing and I loved working alongside of them. Um, I, I wouldn't have brought this title back if it wasn't for them and my belief in them. Um, so, yeah, and then we've got Dykes on Bikes, which have been around for years. They're, they're, they're strong as everything. So we, we don't have to worry about them. But <laughs> I think there's a lot of connecting and all that. Um, with them as well to hopefully bring uh, Ms. Sydney Leather. And I also announced on the other night that I think we really need to, there's always a place for a Mr. and a Ms., but I'd like to move a bit forward here in Sydney and have something like a Sydney Kingstar, maybe something like that that opens up to all genders and all kinks and yeah, I remember you talked about that uh, at the end of the contest when you made your speech and about, you know, this the gender divide or creating a, maybe even a bit more gender equality across the kink scene and the need for changing a, a changing the name of the title or having a title that was not necessarily uh, completely associated with gender. Yeah, and even probably even leather, like leather is a big thing and leather is a kink. Uh, very much so in my world and a lot of people's world, but there's so many other kinks out there as well. And when it comes to title events too, it's about embracing the community together. And sometimes we can segregate it a bit too. So I think by having something a bit more open, but also working alongside with the Sydney Leathermen to do the um, Sydney Mr. Leather competition, and then with the Dykes on Bikes to do the Ms. Sydney Leather, um, and we all can work together to do something that's 
gender is something that's open to all kinksters and get all the community groups together on that would be a marvellous event and it's really taking the world forward. And I believe we need to do that because part of the whole thing too is showcasing um, your kink in educating. Um, I learned that very much when we went through the plebiscite for gay marriage here in Australia. As hard as it was for a lot of people, that three months of us going through the plebiscite and the debate of should we have gay marriage also changed a lot of views. People were hearing stuff. They were talking to other gays. It changed things. I went to uh, Fetish Expo that uh, Oz Kink put on on the Saturday, which hosts the new title here, uh, Sydney Boot Black, which is also genderless. We, we took the gender out of that, which I'm very proud of. Um, so even that event I went to, and I can't tell you how many even women came up to me that were, were at the night before for the Sydney Mr Leather going, I'm in the kink scene, but I didn't understand the leather and all those men and that changed my whole views and made me understand the whole community and the leather kink scene. So I always believe there's a place for that, but wouldn't it be great to just open up the doors to all kinks and, and educate everyone? This was a question I was going to ask you because I spoke to a few people who were talking about, I mean, you know, it was always hotly debated, the whole thing about the no sex on premises. And even somebody asking, you know, well, uh, when the recon event came up, you know, like, ah, are women allowed to this uh, in the space? And I've had a number of very, uh, I guess, small intimate conversations with people during my time in Sydney about king spaces and gender and discrimination you know and i think it's the question of the debate still comes down you know is there a need for men only spaces women only spaces and you know men only versus women only spaces and then of course you also bring up the point that we should have spaces which are completely genderless where do you stand on this uh, argument with maybe the there's not so much of a need for men only spaces. I think there's a place for it. Absolutely. Um, but I wonder, you know, like as a, I guess if I can call you a community leader down in Sydney, what is your stance on this? I can answer that very well, actually. As I said before, I put on Meat Rack, which is a men's only party. We are open to all men or all that identify 24 seven as men. We are also open to straight men because I know straight men love beating up boys and men as well. <laughs> they do. I met them. They do. I know. You probably met a few. But <laughs> they just didn't all open up to you. Um, but, yeah, no, there's a lot in there. Um, even Mark Deviant from Studio Kink loves to come to my parties and he loves giving them stuff. It's the reason why I create my parties is to give them a place and there's a lot of us here in the community and also some straight men that enjoy helping others explore their kink. And if it's to another gay man and that, and they're open with their sexuality, that's okay. They're okay with that. So we keep it open to all men. The great thing is, is I myself have a lot of female friends, a lot of straight friends in the gay and queer community. And and I, um, after a few months of doing the Sydney, uh, doing Meat Rack, I decided to do an open one, which was um, DYMK. Uh, DYMK, I found because I got the trust with the 
men in meat rack, they started liking, they came to my mixed parties and then I was doing meat rack and they were all coming up to me going, when are you doing DYMK again? Your mixed parties, they were great. And I was talking to men that aren't used to going to sexual spaces with women. So in a lot of ways, I feel like I've become a stepping stone where I've created a men's only space, but for those that are open to explore others and to also that you don't have to be bi to just enjoy having sex with another man while a lesbian or a, a, a straight woman's watching and getting off on it. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, <laughs> so as much as we do need men's spaces, and as I said on my speech, there will always be a need for a Mr. Leather and a Ms. Leather. But I also do believe that times are changing and we are opening up. Me as a person, even I'm opening up more sexually. And I like to give them the space where not only they can do that, but they do. <laughs> it gives them a chance where they have the opportunity to do it, but they actually come in and they do it. And that's such a beautiful gift to give to people. That's kind of why I created The Naked Barber even is to take people out of their normal comfort zones or whatever and to feel like they're in a safe space and to explore their kink in a safe space. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. It makes, I think it's one of the things that, you know, we have a challenge with here also, you know, and it's about what we think about the future of the community, you know, what it's going to look like. And one of the, I have to, I'll just go back and just say one bit. One of the reasons I'd ask you this question was, you know, on the first event that we had at Fair Day, you know, we were giving away the uh free memberships uh the voucher codes for the free memberships uh to the recon website and at the booth you know there was a, a lady that came up and she's like oh what is that and i said oh it's a free membership for recon.com she goes oh well can i have one and i said well you know it's a it's a discount code for a free membership for a site which is men only and she just looked at me and she goes well that's discrimination and then she turned around and she walked away and it really made me think like okay wow she felt really strongly about that you know and i think even though we know that there are lots of spaces which are open you know that we also have a platform that caters to um you know the men only spaces and what's somebody else standing on the side of me was like is it really that bad? And I went, well, it just made me think because we know that the scene and the dynamic of the scene is changing so much. And we now produce a number of other events, which also are open to all genders. But at the same time, we also recognize the need uh, for having, you know, these male identified only spaces. Um, but it does make us think about, you know, what's coming up next and how we think about what the future of the scene is going to look like also when we start producing our events you know what who what is the community that we're catering for you know i think if we want the scene or the community to be even more inclusive then that's the direction we should start heading to make sure that we're actually providing the spaces for the entire community to eventually start coming together and working together as a community you know it was great to see how this is happening in sydney i think one of the things um, you know, it's also the opening of a new fetish shop in a cruising space, you know, uh, I think it's called the bunker, which is also on Oxford street. And it was just interesting that, you know, once again, there was another new fetish element being introduced, you know, which for me was, you know, hopeful in that the, that the scene is going to continue to grow and also to thrive.
Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, I think we're very much on the same point of there is changes going, but at the same point, there is very much a need for women's only spaces, which they have, or outlets, especially for lesbians and bi plus women that want to meet other women or swingers. And I think it's really great to have places for men. Unfortunately, what I have found, though, in the times, and I even hear it from a lot of my female friends in the kink industry or the kink scene, is that it's really hard for women to put on sexual events and stuff like that. And I'll be more than honest with you, that's another thing that I'm honoured about with doing um, DYMK. I think it wasn't the last one I had, but the one I had on before, I had a girlfriend of mine that's been oh in the scene for decades and uh, been to many women's parties and stuff like that. She's bi plus. And she messaged me the next day saying, Dick, I have not seen so many women play together in a space before. And it was a mixed space. And it was right. I went up the stairs. There was an orgy. There was a huge orgy of all these leather men. And then this huge orgy of all these women with a few men stuck in. There was one man um, having a blowjob while he was eating another woman out and stuff like that on the bed and all on the other side. But it was like it was all together but separate. And to me, I found that beautiful. And something tells me that even adding that gay element to it of being, sorry, gay male element to it can make queer women feel more comfortable being in a sexual space than if it's on a women's only space. I don't know why that is, but I have a funny feeling that just the sexual energy that the men can bring, the gay men, can actually enhance a little bit more on the women that are there as well and get their sexual mojos going a little bit. That's my theory. I could be wrong, but yeah. Cool. Okay. We're going to start to wind down a little bit, but I've got a few other little questions for you beforehand. I wanted to ask you why the naked barber? Why naked? Why naked? Good question. (laughs) (laughs) I've been hairdressing since I was 15. I think once I got back from London, actually, because I worked over there, Oh, back in 2006, 2007, and I came back and I did a lot of stuff with my hairdressing and barbering career. I um, came home and I guess I felt lost. It was all I'd done for many years and I was a little bit unhappy with work. I needed a career change, I guess would be the best way to say it, but I would have felt like a fish out of water doing anything else when you could throw me into any barber shop and hair salon and I could manage it, I could work it. And so I found it very daunting. I was very unhappy with where I was working, um, but I was on a very well-paid wage. I was working in North Sydney where it's a city district, so there was no late-night trading like a lot of hair salons have to deal with and no weekend work. I also got uh, Christmas holidays and New Year's off. Um, So that way I was very happy, but I wasn't fulfilled with what I was doing. It wasn't creative enough or whatever I needed to fulfill my soul wasn't there. And I was drunk at a dinner party and uh, someone that knows me very well mentioned that I need to leave my job and I said, Pretty much the words, how can I have the lifestyle I've got unless I'm someone like the naked barber or something? Yeah. And everyone looked at me and went, what a brilliant idea. Um, I've, always, 
<laughs> I've always been known to be the one at the work to talk a little bit dirty with the clients, the female ones and all that, and always answer the questions of my female clients of, oh, why is my boyfriend might be gay? He likes me to finger his bum to make him come. And having to explain that uh, gay men don't have a special button up there. We all enjoy anal, so I give it to him. <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, which got me fired a lot, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> Now I've found a career path. Uh, I guess I changed my, um, kept the same career, but I changed the whole concept of it. I gave it uh, a gimmick, but also knowing that the gimmick also needed to have good work and do good craftsmanship because Sydney's a small place. Once you've done your locals, um, they're not going to keep coming back. And if you Google me, you can see me naked everywhere and I've got OnlyFans and all that. So why the hell would anyone pay? So you still got to do good work, but it's a gimmick. Yeah. Um, but I'll be honest with you, I get everything now and that's what makes me love it more. I get trans people from both male and female trans. Um, I get a lot of queers and I also get straight men and women um, to if they want me naked, to if they just want good grooming done. I've taken my whole grooming situation to doing full body grooming. I'm a master in waxing as well as all that. So I do body clippering and all that. And I've come up with the concept of throwing people in the sling frame and just grooming their private bits while they're laying back comfortably in the sling, watching it all in a mirror. So, <laughs> so apart um, from the barber chair, you've also got a sling. I do. I have a lot of things. So you should have come to my um, barber shop when you were in town. I know it was a busy time for everyone, but it would have been great to have shown you what I've got. But yes, I was going to ask you, what is the most juiciest piece of gossip you got from the barber chair? But it sounds like you may have got even more juicy gossip from the sling. What I'm oh, guessing, you know, this is, I, I would imagine definitely this has got to be very similar to like being a beauty salon, you know, where, you know, the people tell all the gossip to the hairdresser. What is one of the juiciest things you've been told or you've heard from someone either in the barber chair or in the sling? Oh my God, the juice. That's a real hard thing to ask me because over the years I've been told so much. It's amazing how people open up when yeah. you're naked and you feel comfortable with someone. And I believe from what I've heard, that is one of my main assets that I have when it comes to my business is making people feel comfortable straight away. So once they're naked and all that and you get chatting to them, people open up about everything. Um, I think the saddest thing I hear from most people is um, their partners don't support the kink that they're in and they're the kind of people that unfortunately have to come to me to put on their kink gear to get a haircut or they do it at home in front of a mirror while their partner's at work or away and I find that a bit sad. Um, But, yeah, no, as far as juiciness goes, my God, I could tell you so much and half of it, to be honest with you, I've probably forgotten because there is so much. And what can I say? And I don't want to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's we'll protect the anonymity of the clients. I think that's also very important because there's definitely an element of building some trust there. And I'm sure they would trust you never to repeat what they tell you. So that's cool. Um, before we go, final words for the naysayers that say the Sydney kink scene is dead. What have you got to say to those people? Okay, um, I understand the kink scene may have looked dead, 
or would have been to a lot of people, Dan. A couple of years ago, we have gone through a new renaissance, I think, uh, and I know so, especially after the World Pride we've just had. Um, but I think with a lot of things, and I did explain this to someone probably about 10 years ago when they were talking because the Bears have had a very strong presence here and a very strong association here, the Harbour City Bears, over the years. And I remember about 10 years ago someone mentioning to me what's happened with the leather seed. And I pretty much just said, look, I believe we'll have our time again. You've just got to wait and it's going to be very different to what it was once before. We've got to brace it for what it is. But I believe just like fashion and when we talk about leather and also the kink scene, had its moment, everything evolves, and it was a bit of a fashion time back in the 80s and 70s and during the AIDS pandemic and all that, which unfortunately we lost a lot of people during that time. Um, but now we're rebuilding and we're changing. There's a lot of the shibari rope. There's a lot of pups. There's uh, fairies. There's uh, so many other elements um, that we haven't really seen before in the past or has been present in the fetish and leather community that are making themselves relevant at the moment. And I think we need to look at them because they are the new generation. Um, to where they grow from there, I've seen a lot of growth from the pups turning into little leather boys to leather daddies. It's been great to see, but we've all got to start somewhere. Um, a bit like what I was saying with um, creating a men's only space and then after a while getting their trust, opening it up to a queer open space for all genders and then seeing that they come and have a look at that and go, this ain't that bad. So I think the fact of just, and that's why I want to do the Sydney Kinkster Award, is to educate and show that there are lots of different kinks out there. And um, all those kink people might be into leather and all that as well, but they've got so much more in the kink scene that they like to discover and involve themselves in. And I think it's marvellous to actually learn from them and to um, bring them into the whole fold as well as one community. Thank you, Dick, for joining us on the podcast. That was really amazing. And I definitely look forward to seeing you next time we're down in Sydney and hopefully joining in, uh, you know, continuing to join in this amazing revival of the fetish scene down under. Um, my final note to the listeners, you know, it, it just makes me uh, say once again, you know, do we really need to have a permanent bar to have a scene or to have a community? And my answer is the more I talk to people, the more I don't think so. For some reason, I think people have maybe convinced themselves that, you know, if you don't have a permanent space, you don't have a scene. But as we have learned again today, there are so many people creating these spaces and building the scenes. And even though it's not, you know, a 24-hour space, the fact that they're there and it's growing is something really promising. Um, I will say to, you know, some of the naysayers, be visible in the scene that you want to see. And I promise you that it won't die. It will survive. You know, get your mates to come out and give their support as well and think about ways to introduce new people to the scene and it will thrive. You know, these are the people that we're going to need to push it into the future after we've left it. You know, it's one of the things we... We say again and again and again, be the representation you actually want to see uh, in the scene and it won't die. 
Thank you again, Dixavi, for joining us from Down Under with your tales from the barber's chair. And to our listeners, until next time, we see you soon. Bye for now.